You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Well, some say he was a prophet and that he roamed across the land with a band of unschooled ruffians and a few old fishermen. No one knew exactly what he'd done or where he came from, but they said it must be something bad that's kept him on the run. Some say he was a poet and that he'd stand upon a hill, that his voice could calm an angry crowd and make the waves stand still, that he, he spoke in many parables that few could understand, but the people stood for hours just to listen to this man. Some say he was a sorcerer, a man of mystery. He could walk upon the water, he could make a blind man see. That that he conjured wine at weddings and he did tricks with fish and bread and he he talked about being born again and he, he raised people from the dead. Some say a politician who spoke of being free, he was followed by the masses on the shores of Galilee, he, he spoke out against corruption and he bowed to no decree and they feared his strength and power. So they nailed him to a tree. Who is Jesus? Just who is Jesus? I find that our society is increasingly uh, confused about this. I, I found a Newsweek article, it's a year old, I hadn't seen it before. August 8th, 2020. And it's a result of a survey taken of 3,000 people, 630 of which were evangelical Christians. And it found this, nearly one third of evangelicals agreed that Jesus isn't God. Compared to 65% who said he's the greatest living being ever created. And the author of the article says this, it's clear that the church does not have the luxury of standing standing idly by. This is a time for Christians to study scripture diligently, to engage confidently with people in our culture and witness fearlessly to the identity and saving work of Jesus Christ in the gospels. Just who is Jesus? Was he a wandering preacher? Was he just a master of parables? Did he only confess the ability to confound the wise? He was one that shared grace liberally. He met with sinners. He ate with prostitutes. He proclaimed freedom for all. But is that all? Was he one that gave free grace to everyone? That everybody's going to heaven, you're all in, he's everyone's friend? Or was he one that warned that the way is narrow and that many are called but few are chosen? Who set the price of discipleship incredibly high? Jesus was and is 
an enigma. In his day, he delighted the sinner. They loved to be around him. They flocked around him. And he angered the religious. They hated him. (laughs) It's funny, it's almost the opposite today. They hated him so much that they sought to take his life. Jesus, this one who raised the widow's son to life. Jesus, this one who gave the same wages to the worker hired in the last hour as those who worked all day. This one who talked about loving one's enemies, of being kind to those who mistreat you. For these things he was put to death. What was it? That made people so angry. They they wanted him dead. Who was Jesus? Who is he? And what does our life have to do with his? So for the next several weeks, we're going to look at some of the teachings of Jesus that don't get talked about nearly as much. We're going to talk about the teachings of Jesus that are difficult. Here's the first. Luke 13. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Shalom fell on them. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Now these two uh, episodes, this is the only place in scripture we hear of them. We know uh, from Roman sources, Pilate did some pretty terrible things. Killed some Galileans, mixed it in with with their blood. Um, and, And the tower falling on 18 people, this is the only place we learn of it. Now there was in Jesus's day, this popular thought, and it was this. If you were sick, or you came down with some malady, there was a reason for it. You deserved it. The Jews rigidly connected sin and suffering. If you had leprosy, you deserved it. If you went blind, you did something wrong. If you died prematurely, it's because you were hiding some secret sin. Now, Jesus refutes this lie over and over again. But it doesn't die easily. So here in this passage, Jesus asked, do you think that the Galileans who died were worse sinners than the others? I tell you, no, Jesus answered. And again, he asked, those 18 who the tower fell on and they died, were they worse sinners than the rest of the people in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, Jesus says. And then twice he adds this line, but unless you repent, you will all perish. But unless you repent, you will all perish. Repent. Repent. Repent of what? Repent why? Now, 
Jesus, uh, in, in these discourses, we're talking primarily to Jews. Jews who had the idea that it was their heritage, their nationality, that qualified them for salvation, that qualified them for the afterlife. But they had it all wrong. They actually had no relationship with God at all. They didn't know him. Jesus said over and over again, listen, if you knew the Father, you would know me. The fact that you don't know who I am tells me you don't know the Father. They were counting on their bloodline to get them into heaven, but they were wrong. God has no grandkids. He only has children. And they, like the rest of us, need to repent of their sin and we, our sin. Repent means to get it out there in the open, confess it, and then walk away from it. Turn and walk 180 degrees away from the sin. They needed to humble themselves in the presence of a holy God, but they would not. He warned them twice in this passage, many other times, repent or perish. Later in this chapter, he picks up a similar theme. Let's look at it. In Luke 13, 22, then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate. And we drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth there. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves will be thrown out. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feasts of the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Now, I got to tell you, these words did not, did not go down easy for Jews. They were offended by them. Jesus is saying, when you get to heaven, you're going to be surprised by who's there. I reckon that's right. You'll look around and say, you made it? Huh, really? Are you sure there wasn't a mistake? You, you made it, huh? Wow. Jesus said, the door is narrow. Many will try to enter it, but few will be able to do so. He said, make every effort 
to enter through the narrow door. King James, I think it says, strive to enter. The, the word there for every effort and strive in the original language is, is the same word. We get our word agony from. Jesus says, agonize over this. Work on it. No one's gonna get to heaven and say, huh, I knew I was gonna make it all along. I mean, walk in the park. We'd say, oh God, by your great grace we're here. Make every effort. Once the door is shut, people will say, please open the door for us. To which he'll respond, I, I don't know you. And they'll continue, but we ate with you and we drank with you. And he will say, away from me, you evildoers. You'll see people in the kingdom you had no idea were going to be there. You'll see Abraham, you'll see the prophets, but you won't see you, Jesus tells them. People will come from all over the earth, from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and take your place in the kingdom. But you will not enter, Jesus says to them. These were the people that were so confident that it was their heritage, their nationality, their bloodline that was going to get them into heaven. The fact that they were Jewish. But this mattered very little. In fact, it didn't matter at all to Jesus you know, a, th a similar thing is happening today. This is very, very similar today. Almost everybody thinks they're going to heaven. You, you stop 100 people walking down the street. You know, you're, you got the microphone. You're the reporter on the street. Excuse me, excuse me. Are you going to go to heaven? They'll say, well, yeah. You say, well, well Why? And they'll say, well, on the whole, I've been better than bad. I mean, I, I've done far more good things than I've done bad things. I've done some bad things, but I've done more good. I think when God looks at my life, he'll see more good than bad, and I'll be in. Now, you might have a couple honest souls that will say, no, I don't think I'm going to make it. But most everybody will say, yeah, because I've been... I've been good. But how much good is good enough? And how much bad is too bad? Jesus taught plainly, it is not our actions that qualify us for heaven or for a relationship with him. It is our relationship with him that qualifies us for heaven. Now, many times, and, and, and here too, it talks about good deeds and good works. And the idea is that when we come to know him and serve him, we do good works, not so that we'll be saved, but because we are. Here is as blunt a parable as Jesus can give to talk about this. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but they threw the bad away. 
This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all of these things, Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. They didn't. He asked us, do you understand all these things? I'm not sure we do. Now, it's only natural for Jesus to use a fishing parable with fishermen, right? Jesus tended to do that. I love the fish too. I mean, I just love it. And I can picture there's a boat out on a small lake and they start at one end and they let down this huge net. It's got weights at the bottom and they go slowly across the lake so the net stays on the bottom and it gathers up every fish in the lake. They get to the, the shore and they strain to pull it up and when they do, there is a mountain of fish there on the shore. And then they gotta go through it and separate the bad from the good. And I don't know what good fish looks like in Palestine. I, I've been to the Sea of Galilee and I ate one fish. I think it's called St. Peter's fish or something like that. But here in our culture, if you're gonna take the good fish, you'd take uh, the bass and the perch and the bluegill and the red-eyed sunfish and the walleyes and sawgye and those kind of things and you put them in baskets because those are good fish, good eating. And then you take the other, the scrap fish, the carp, and uh, the sheephead, the gar, others. And you put them in a pile to be burned because you can't eat them. They're just disgusting. And he says, now this is how it's going to be at the end of the age. And this isn't the only parable he talks about this. Remember in Matthew 25, he says he separates the, the sheep from the goats. This is a popular theme. He says at the end of the age, the angels will come and they'll separate the righteous from the unrighteous, the righteous to eternal glory. And the unrighteous will be thrown into a blazing furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever heard gnashing of teeth? Yeah, you have. Some of you did it yesterday at the Ohio State game. Right? Here's, here's gnashing of teeth. It's clenching your teeth together real tight and making a guttural sound. Jesus says that's how those will be in eternity. Separated from God. I had a chance and I didn't take it. He told me I needed to repent. I blew it, I blew it, I blew it, I blew it, I blew it. And there's no recourse. There's no do-over. The time for that's gone. I had a much-loved professor in seminary. He told us, you know, You've got to preach about sin. And you've got to preach about hell. But you ought not enjoy it. You ought not say, talk about sin. Talk about how some of you are going. Said you ought to preach it 
solemnly with a broken heart. You had to preach it in tears. Jesus very clearly in these three stories and especially this last parable says that we have one of two destinies for all of eternity. And not only us, but every person that lives at our house and every brother or sister you may have, mom or dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, every friend, every coworker, every person you see once and only once, every set of eyes you lock onto is a soul of a person who has one of two destinies, either with God in a heaven prepared since the foundations of the earth or away from God in hell where the presence of God is non-existence. Now the good news is you and I get to choose but we have to choose. Now, I tell you, even, even the fact that we have a choice in the matter says a lot about God. It's his provenient grace. It's grace before grace that brings us to the point where we even see the need to repent of sin and leave it and walk away from it. But we have to do that. That's ours to do. Jesus came proclaiming the love of God to a population trapped in sin. And he said, your father loves you. And has made a plan for you. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me. Repent. Lay down your sin. And walk away from it. As your pastor. As one who loves you. I ask you. Have you done this? Have you laid it down? Have you walked away from it? Or are you waiting for another time that may or may not come? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. In a moment, we're going to stand and I'm going to open the altar. And even before I do, I want to tell you, we, we've got to change our idea about why we come to the altar. Sometimes people are so afraid of it, They're afraid that people will judge or whatever. I'll I tell you, here's what I think when someone comes to the altar. They're saying, I want more of God than I want anything in the world. My relationship with him is the most important thing in my life. I want nothing to stand in the way of that. And if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, then that's what you need to do. 
I'm going to pray, then I'm going to ask you to stand. And if this is the day that you say, Jesus, I, I repent. I bring my sin and I leave it here at the altar. I ask your forgiveness and I'm walking away from it. I'm walking away from it. I want a new life. My Father in heaven, as best I could, I, I tried to maintain the captivity of people's ears. But only you can speak to the heart of my friends in this room. And so I pray you will. I pray very clearly they would hear your voice. And I pray that they would obey it. Holy Spirit, we recognize that you are fully God. We recognize that one of the things you love to do is bring men and women and boys and girls to the Father. So we just encourage you to do what you love to do. Being confident that it's you that's doing that work and not anything else. Would you stand now with me? And if your heart says, you know what, I want to I want to I want to come to the altar. I, I want to lay it down. I want to walk away from it. Would you? Would you obey the Lord this morning if he's speaking to you? Keep your heads bowed if you would so that no one gets worried about what anybody else is doing. This is you now. Is the Lord speaking to you? Is this the time? Come, who else? Who else? We won't, we won't wait long. But I know the Holy Spirit's speaking to some folks, and I, I'd hate for you to leave and not respond. Who else? a dismissal prayer and I'll bless you as you go but I'll ask you to leave quietly we'd like to leave space and time for our friends who are kneeling here to continue to pray to seek God if you want to stay where you are and just talk to him in your seat you can do that as well Father thank you for meeting with us today 
Thank you for these babies that were dedicated to these new lives. Every baby born is proof you haven't given up on us yet. I pray you will dismiss us in your great love. This week, would we forgive? And would we give? And would we love as we have been forgiven and given to and loved? Cause us to return next week rejoicing at some of what we have seen you do. Thank you for loving us. We'd be so lost without you. Thank you. We pray in the name of Jesus these things. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a good week. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.